This episode is brought to you by FastCase and its comprehensive suite of legal intelligence tools. FastCase offers the full suite from legal research to analytics, document tracking to secondary treatises, AI tools, legal news, and more. FastCase is the smarter way to run your law library. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Phil Rosenthal and I'm the host for today's show which is being recorded on location at the American Association of Law Libraries annual meeting and conference from Washington DC. Joining me now I have Cynthia Brown, the Director of Research Services at Littler Mendelssohn, Laura Chance, the project manager for research and library technology at Morgan Lewis and Bacchius, and Nina Jack, the vice president for product and content at FastCase. Welcome to the show. Hi, Phil. Hi. Hi, Phil. Hello. Hi, Phil. Hi. And before we get to our topic, makers in law libraries, please tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and what you do. And uh, Cynthia. Well, I run a team of 26 library professionals in Kansas City, and we're with Littler Mendelssohn, as you said, and we have a team of 60 in our KM department, um, and, and at Littler, the library's nestled in with knowledge management. Uh, we find the data, <laughs> refine it for them, and, and curate that, and uh, send it out to our many uh, firm projects. Uh, Laura Chance here. I am the, pro so as project manager for research and library technology, I help our team of 50 utilize technology in meaningful ways that help make the lives of our researchers and our library staff much easier. I also work on incorporating the library into the larger picture at the firm, so I make sure that, that we are represented on our intranet, that we're talking with practice groups and making sure that they're getting the resources that they need easily and quickly. I'm Nina Jack, I lead the product team at FastCase, and um, my team and I are tasked with um, are tasked with working with our um, largest partners, our law firm partners, bar association partners, um, to really understand their needs and build out solutions um, that help them do their jobs better in the day-to-day. -day. All right, well, thank you. Well, let's start with a threshold question of just why make your own tools and what is the uh, role of the library in making the tools? Well, why make your own tool? Because you need it. Um, the opportunity's there. And um, I think in, for many years we've been talking about how to make libraries and librarians more relevant. How do we um, save our jobs and how do we um, keep this profession going? Um, and I think it's interesting. I don't feel like that's a problem anymore. I'm, I hire every year. I hire several people. Um, and I was able to beg for one more person at the end of this year. <laughs> um, I think there's a great need for librarians. And I think there is a need to create tools that you ha um, to fix your individual problem. So there's fantastic vendors. Um, lots of partners that we like to work with, but they don't always solve every problem. And sometimes I can create a solution um, using the bodies I have um, to create 
and get us started on our goal. And then maybe down the road, I can get some money freed up to buy something from a vendor or to create it with a vendor. But if there's a need and I can do it myself, then why not? Why wait? Absolutely, I agree. I think that we know our problems, our issues, our challenges better than anyone else. And I think that we are underestimated as technologists and as builders and as people who can get real scrappy and get things done. Mm -hmm. And um, I wouldn't trust anybody but a librarian to help me solve my problem if it's library related. Uh, so I think it's really important right. that we're represented in all aspects of what we do, including not just vendors that are selling things to libraries, but with our document management systems and other tools of the firm. Library is a big part of that, and we understand what we're doing. Yep. And if I could add, Please. we've had um, we've had situations where a librarian comes to me and says, you know, we saw this problem, and I fixed it. And here's what I did to do it. And I, I, here's how I did it. I built it. And here you go. And it was, it was so simple and obvious, but it took a librarian to do it. <laughs> and then I could just announce to my boss, hey, look at this great thing we did. And it was with tools that were already existing in the firm. So why worry about the red tape? Just get it done. Right. You know your problems better than anyone else would. Mm -hmm. Just fix it. I yep. love it. I love it. And actually, why don't we talk a little bit about the kinds of things uh, that you're doing. Now, Laura, you spoke yesterday uh, here at AAAL, um, and I thought it was a great example of, of being a builder, about do-it-yourself APIs. And uh, maybe take a moment and tell us about that program and some of the initiatives that you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. So the program was focused on building your own APIs and learning how to read documentation, how to understand the tools that are available for folks that don't know, and then also giving them examples of real-world solutions that they could have or things they could build that would apply in their libraries. So my role on the panel was not to do the coding, but to show examples of things that are happening and we're doing at the firm to solve solutions. Um, I don't build APIs, so if it's okay that I jog over a little bit and talk about some other solutions that I've worked on, Sure. Um, you know, we are, we've been using uh, a, a tool we already have at the firm called Contract Express in an out-of-the-box way. We're using it to standardize workflows and procedures and automate processes. So things that usually, for example, our arrivals workflow when an attorney comes into the firm is sort of death by a thousand cuts. There's a lot of communication back and mm -hmm. forth between the librarian, the manager, the person who is ordering the credentials, and then the user themselves. And so what we've done is we put everything into a single form with a bunch of check boxes, really simple, you just check off what you need, and then on the back end, all of the emails, the communication, the documentation that's going to go to the attorney is included based upon what you select. So we're trying to find ways to cut time and not get bogged down in all those email back and forths. Um, and a few years ago, right before we rolled out our ticketing system for research and reference requests, I built a SharePoint ticketing system for our electronic services requests to demonstrate in a much smaller scale how beneficial it would be to have a tool that could track our work, allow us to do some analysis and processes, and then would also create a knowledge base that was searchable and more transparent. And it made us a lot more efficient and understanding as a team of what we were working on and how we could do it better. And it seems you're working with software from partners and and may bring in some of the uh, partner perspective uh, turn to Nina because it looks like there's a, a great opportunity to collaborate and help the uh, librarians build the tools yeah absolutely so one of the best things about being here at the AAAL annual meeting is being able to have in-depth conversations with people like Cynthia and Laura and understand you know the challenges that they're having and um, we're kind of trying to solve this in in two ways so um, first of all taking their feedback 
back into account as we um, work through the roadmap for our legal research platform, for Docket Alarm, for AI Sandbox. You know, what are the gaps that exist um, in our um, products and also what are the gaps that exist generally and how can we help to um, fill in those gaps. The other um, initiative that we've undertaken in the last few years um, and, and truly um, because of the feedback that we've gotten from law librarians is to um, instead of just serving up our platform to kind of think of it as a pyramid where the platform is at the top of the pyramid, our search APIs underlie the, um, you know, the, the user experience in the platform and then the data underlies those APIs and how can we serve up content either as a data feed to help supplement you know, um, products that you guys are building in the libraries, or how can you build on top of our search APIs, how can we customize our APIs in order to allow you all to do what you do really well um, in integration with, for example, our primary law. Um, and we've been really fortunate to forge such wonderful um, partnerships where we can truly figure out you know, where we can do what we do best and support librarians as they build in the library. It's interesting you raise the, the data question, because we talk a lot about tools, uh, but tools usually need to operate on something. <laughs> and so uh, I'm curious, both from the perspective of firm data, uh, is, is the, the, the data ready? Uh, right? you, you have such a wealth of data at, at firms, proprietary, beautiful databases no one else has. Uh, and, and, and is that data ready to build the tools and also what other kinds of data, because Nina, you were talking about APIs that partners could provide as well. And so uh, maybe Cynthia, if you have thoughts about. Yeah, we've been collecting data for a long time. And it's interesting to me how it started. We used to, I don't know, eight, 10 years ago, get those emails late in the afternoon and we have to have this, everyone stop what they're doing. And it would take days and weeks to get this information and then everything else is backed up. And it only took maybe two times for this to happen where I said, wait a minute. And this was happening in class actions in our firm and, and we said, we've, we've got to have this ready for them. Mm -hmm. And so we started tracking filings and settlements and a great deal of information about class actions. And because we had a librarian set it up, um, we had uh, very defined fields. We knew exactly how we wanted that information entered. We had taxonomies built. And so now, fast forward 10 years, we have a great database of information and all that data. Um, and we're looking for ways to partner with, with our different vendors and with Fastcase. And okay, how do we use that now? And this is, um, it includes both, it includes firm data and public data. Um, so that throws an interesting wrinkle into it as well, and how are we going to do this? Um, but because we had been tracking the information for so long, we already have a rich environment to work in, which is really exciting. And anytime we started seeing requests that would repeat, we said, well, is this something that we should be following? Should we start? And, you know, we started with a spreadsheet because that's what we had, and we wanted to keep it. And right. we've been able to evolve it. And I'm excited to continue to evolve because now we look at it and say, whoa, big data, right? We have this data and it's already in a good form. Um, okay. Because I think a lot of firms struggle with, oh, yeah, we have that information somewhere in a, some tool. What does it look like? We don't know. Um, and so they're, they're trying to figure out how to clean up that data and how to all make all those different programs talk to each other. But we already have a lot of this collected. 
Well, it sounds like you were far ahead of your time. Ten years ago, having structured data uh, is not something that we hear all the time. And, you know, often there's a challenge of how do you structure it? And uh, I was wondering what your, what your perspective was. Yeah, I, large law firms are, they're just ripe for this kind of opportunity. I mean, we, Morgan Lewis is a firm of 1,900 or more, I mean, definitely more attorneys and 2,000 staff. And just the challenge of knowing yourself really well at that scale is enormous. And I think librarians are well poised to begin to ask those questions and to bring that data to light because we answer questions for everyone at the firm. Something as complicated as a securities research question to as simple as who do I contact you know, to find a fax machine, that all comes through us. And I think we're We'd be really well poised to work in experience management at the firm, connecting people not just to resources like we do so well, but to other people at the firm. And then on a different note, um, I was really I'm very impressed with something the firm that came out recent came out with recently uh, regarding the Me Too cases that have been mm -hmm. you know popping up and. Grace Spates, uh, our global leader for labor and employment, spoke today about our Me Too bot, which is a bot that will crawl any textual data, so emails, Slack channels, text messages, and it will highlight language that is potentially harmful um, and could be and could cause risk for a harassment case. Um, that kind of e-discovery is just incredible, and to have it being used in such a positive way, I feel, is um, something I think the firm should be really proud of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I hope that we can continue to use e-discovery tools uh, to look at that unstructured data, make sense of it, and then harness it in meaningful ways. Now, is the bot something that's used for e mostly for e-discovery, or also is it a tool that you provide to clients that they can that they can use to check their content? Absolutely, we're we're leveraging it with clients and letting them take a look at what's going on. Um, for you know, it's really good for historical, look, you know, going back and looking at um, the past and what's been happening at a, at an, an organization, a business, etc. But if you have access not just to emails, but uh, if it uh, information is on a firm phone, for example, you could t um, analyze texts in real time. So you wouldn't have to do these reactionary cases where harm has already happened. You can actually mitigate harm and you can say, all right, this happened. Let's stop it before it gets even further and more severe. It's really, right. really impressive. Yeah, real time sounds fantastic. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. And, and I'm intrigued that you're talking about when we're talking about building tools, it seems that there's multiple kinds of tools. And because you, earlier you talked about how you could really hyper-customize other software, and now you talk about tools for, cli for, for clients. And Cynthia, I know Littler has also pioneered building amazing tools that, that are for the clients as well. Yeah, and this same idea of let's help the clients before there's a big problem. So Littler Case Smart um, is the way that we, we've helped our clients. And, and the tool is to respond to either lawsuits or EEO charges. But the data they get back, they get a dashboard and they can look at it and say, we're getting a lot of cases that come out of this store or this location, and they all seem to be about disability discrimination. And so the client can then go back and say, we need to train some people, or we can identify that there's an issue. And so clients want that. They want to know how to fix something before the problem happens, because they're, getting, they're tired of getting sued, and they should be. Right. Now, you mentioned something interesting earlier about having your own data and some public or third-party data and some... Mm -hmm had that added some wrinkles and I thought we might ex ex explore oh, sure. that more and also may bring in um, 
as p potential third-party uh, partner data providers, how all of that fits together, and, mm -hmm. and see if you know Nina had some thoughts as well mm -hmm. on that interplay mm -hmm. uh, with with combining different databases. Sure. Well, clearly there's a great deal of confidential information in law firms. Um, and we want to be keep that information confidential and be ethical and, and certainly protect our clients. So any client data, um, we have to treat very carefully. And specifically in, this, in the class action arena, when you're looking at settlements, so frequently those settlements are confidential. Um, they aren't publicized, they aren't printed anywhere, and you know, that's pretty important to the client. They don't, want, they don't want anyone to know what they're settling those cases for. And so it's valuable information, very, very valuable, because it can help you craft your, um, your plan on your next case. It can help you decide how you should settle a case or if you should go to trial. Um, but we can't, we can't let that information outside of the firm. So we're in a difficult position where we want to figure out how can we best leverage this data and are there, there are, we've seen a lot of exciting vendor tools that we think, oh, we could use that and put our data in there and manipulate it and use it just for us. But once it goes outside that firewall, that just sets off alarms for everyone, as it should. You know, our, our clients need to be able to trust us and we've clearly promised we're not going to share this information with anyone. And so it makes it tricky to figure out how can we make this work. Um, but I think there's a way. I, I think we have to, to live that way. I think we have to have this idea that there are solutions. Because otherwise, how can you continue to be innovative if you just see the roadblock and go, oh, darn. Right. So if the data can't leave the law firm, are there ways things, and Nina, are there ways things can be deconstructed to, yeah. to help with that? I mean, I think this goes back to the point that Cynthia made at the outset, which is that um, the role of the librarian is now being cemented as kind of that keeper of information. And, um, and in an innovative role um, with a firm like Littler, Morgan Lewis, like when, when we know the librarian that we're working with, when the folks on my team know the librarian that they're working with is, um, is able to implement solutions on their side. I mean, my team would love to get in on the other side of your firewall and help you, you know, connect information, but we can't do that for all of the reasons that you just brought up. And um, and knowing going into a partnership that there's going to be a team of people in the library that can help make those solutions happen, um, I think just really drives that partnership home. The other thing that I love about working with folks in the library is that, um, you all are, are, I guess, trained and do such a great job of pattern recognition. So um, I've, I've had so many conversations with librarians, just like the ones that you guys brought up today, where you know we think that there might be a um, pattern within Slack that we need to pick up on because of you know potential Me Too um, litigation, or you know we had two requests come in for settlement information. We need to build a database, and partnering with people who have that kind of foresight just makes us all better and improves the state of the art. Yeah, it seems like there's, there's quite a two-way collaboration where both learn from each other. In fact, maybe I want to look a little bit at the educational and training aspects of this because there was a report that recently came out from AAAL on the state of the profession. And it one of the things it asked about is what uh, librarians most want to learn to uh, improve their core competencies and and what invariably came up across sectors, not just law firms, was to learn more about AI, learn more about uh, analytics, and I think blockchain as well. And uh, I wonder how these efforts might be helpful in uh, 
helping librarians to, to learn more about the tools and the technologies and stay ahead and, and be the experts at the firms. And so, Laura, what are your thoughts of Absolutely. Um, I think it's really important right now for librarians to learn about technology. Uh, it could be any of those that you mentioned, right? Like if you want to become an expert in AI, that's going to take some time. Data analytics, same thing. You have to invest in something. I think even if you aren't in a role where you can implement that technology by coding, or maybe you don't feel comfortable coding, it's going to give you the confidence to go to the vendor, to go to the partner, to go to whoever you're working with and talk the talk and walk the walk at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know you know what you're talking about. You understand these systems. You can speak code and that helps you advocate from the end user's perspective. And then for those who do want to code, you've got uh, you've got an extra tool in your in your toolbox and you can really I don't want to say do some damage because that sounds you know that sounds bad but it really is sometimes you know uh, you really have to get in there and break things to learn about them and failure is a huge part of this you're gonna fail a hundred times but don't get it let it discourage you you'll learn something from it every time and it shows that you're dedicated and that you're really willing to make something be successful so I, I think it's incredibly important that's great and, and Cynthia yeah, I think if you want to be a part of this profession of the future, if you want to be the informational profession, professional of the future, you have to learn about technology and you have to learn about whatever's new. You have to be looking for the cutting edge. I remember, I hope it was a long time ago, I was in a meeting and someone asked me if this, if this product was SaaS and I said, I don't know what that means and they explained software as a service and then I still thought, I'm not sure I know what that means either. But I went home and figured it out. <laughs> it wasn't going to happen to me again. But it was an important lesson for me to say, I've got to be able to be a part of the, of the process and a part of the conversation. So if you know what a chatbot is, then learn how a chatbot works. And even if you're not going to build a chatbot at your firm, you should understand what it is so that if they come to you one day and say, oh, we had IT build us a chatbot and we want you to implement this, you're you're going to feel comfortable with that process and then take every opportunity to learn the next step. We were in the, the process of evaluating vendors to, to create a chatbot and I learned about robotic process automation and then I was really excited. I knew what a new acronym was. So now I talk about RPAs all the time, but you have to continue to keep yourself um, valid and, and fluent in the, in the technology language so that you can be relevant and you can join in every conversation and you don't have to sit back and say, oh, well, they're not asking a research question. I guess this isn't about me. It sounds like you're saying it's also helped increase the visibility of, of the library and what it can do. And, and what, what have you both seen in terms of how it changed the stature of the of, of librarians at the firm, hopefully making you the go-to person in the future, like you were saying, mm -hmm. Cynthia. Mm -hmm. uh, and if, if you have any any examples along those lines, Cynthia or Laura. Yeah, um, I would say absolutely raising the the visibility of, of um, all of my staff. Um, any anything they can do to make the attorney's life easier, um, definitely get someone's attention, right? Um, and at the this is somewhat related to your question, we've created, as many people know, the Knowledge Desk at Littler. And the service that we've provided and being able to answer questions quickly and being able to utilize additional tools that just, the attorneys don't have time to learn all of these tools. We do it for them and provide them that expertise and that new piece of fantastic technology. 
because they can't do it themselves. They And they shouldn't. In my opinion, they shouldn't. They should not become an expert in, in analytics because they're an expert in the law. I can give them the information, explain to them what the report is, and they can go apply the legal principles to it and help their client. And so that's helped raise the visibility of our team and I think really turned people around. I've been with Littler for 12 years and the last five years, everyone's always appreciated the library, but since we launched the Knowledge Desk and started taking more on, they they really think we're magicians. We get emails, that we get emails addressed to the KM <laughs> Wizards, which we really like. <laughs> That's amazing. That's really fun. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And Laura? Yeah. yeah, I think on a grand scale, we're getting more seats at the table or we're just being invited to the table. The library, uh, we were just invited to be a part of the steering committee for um, our next um, document management system upgrade, which is a significant change to the platform. So it's not just a simple upgrade. It's a lot of change management, communication. So the fact that we're there at the beginning is awesome. We get to have that voice. Um, we're also being uh, involved in project committees firm-wide to taking, out, look, taking a look at analyzing everything that's happening firm-wide and having a say in what's being prioritized is huge. You know, a lot of the times client work gets prioritized over staff work or over um, less sexy institutional work, but you've got to have really good bones in order to provide good client work. So we're excited to be able to advocate for fixing some of those those bone breakages, so to speak. Um, and then for me personally, as a librarian, I'm getting emails every day from people. I hear you're really great with SharePoint and I can't, I can't fix this. Can you help me? Or, hey, I want to start coding. Where do I, where do I start? Or do you know, can you read this for me and tell me what it means? And even if I can't give them the answer, the fact that I'm willing to sit with a person at my firm and be curious with them, it's really raising our profile. It's showing that we're going a little bit beyond average research requests or even just like your typical work request. Uh, and it builds partnerships and it makes people say, hey, you're innovative and creative and you're helpful. People just want helpful folks around. <laughs> so it's definitely changing. And in the four years that I've been at Morgan, I feel like my role is, I mean, it is literally different. I have gone through two different positions to get to the one that I'm at now. But as a person, as Laura Chance at Morgan, I feel very different. That's great. And, and Nina, as a, uh, what can the uh, partner do, the outside partner do, to help uh, librarians future-proof their careers and to help them showcase what they can do in the way we've been talking about today? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I loved what um, both of you guys said when Phil asked the question about building competencies. Um, neither of you said, you know, we need to learn AI or we need to learn blockchain. You both really dug into the problems that um, the, the partners at your firms have and how you're going to solve those problems. And I think that um, the most important thing that vendors can do is, you know, walk hand in hand with librarians and also understand those problems and be partners in um, in solving them. Well, maybe for our last question, we could look at the problem of hurting the cats. Of getting uh, these are these are novel projects when you're building tools, innovative projects. How does one go about getting that approved and what are the challenges there? And uh, start with uh, Laura. You're going to start with me? Yes. <laughs> oh boy. I think uh, for me it was prototyping something small. So, you know, you can, you're human, you're going to get frustrated, you're going to complain and say, I want this to be better. But if you don't have something to show, you're not going to get much traction or credibility. So. 
for example, part of the building um, our ticketing system for the electronic services team was born from a, a struggle with communication across 50 librarians and also knowing when things had been completed so we weren't stepping on each other's toes. And um, I just built something really simple and small in SharePoint and it took some adjustments. People didn't want to have to fill out a form. They were used to just firing off an email and saying, Laura, take care of this, you know. Uh, and instead, we kind of forced them to put in some information. I wouldn't say forced. We asked them politely, and then we sort of begged them. And then we called them and said, hey, listen, if you want this to be useful, you got to do it. And we saw a cultural change. And after a few weeks, I actually had librarians saying, I really like the ticketing system. And when we moved from the ticketing system to our current research and reference system, which we combined all of our various ancillary departments. Um, I actually had folks say like, oh, I really just wish I could use the electronic services ticketing system, which is not to toot my own horn, but I just felt really good about it. Um, so I think you have to kind of show, even if it's something small as a sketch, do a workflow map and pen and pencil or paper and pencil, um, write a very brief proposal, think it out. And I think that you can start there with working with management and really demonstrating a need. Cynthia, anything? Yeah, I think um, I have three quick points. Patience, speak in the business of the law, and find the right champion. So often things run slowly. Well, I shouldn't say that. The wheels turn slowly in a law firm sometimes, and it may be in any business. And so don't be frustrated. I have often fallen victim to this, and I think that was my plan this year. It was my goal, but now it's not going to happen. Well... Maybe not. Maybe it's going to happen next year. Stick with it and be patient. And then when you're asking to do things and seeking approval, you need to speak in the terms of the business of law. You need to talk to your COO and your CFO in the terms that make sense to them. So when you present a proposal, it's not because, hey, I think this is important and other people are doing it too. No, here's your ROI and this is why we want to do it and this is the research that we've done and you know, here's the here's what you're going to get from it and talk dollars and cents that's really important to them and then I would say too if you're trying to herd cats find the cat that wants to run right find the one who's <laughs> interested you we all have our library champions that love us um, take advantage of it you know they're willing to help you they're happy to help you and so pick the right person well, thank you and Nina well bring us home how could the outside partner make it easier to get the project uh, moving Yes, yeah, so many times as we're um, working with our with our partners, um, they're telling us exactly what they need in order to herd the cats. They're telling us about the cat that's going to run, and the you know second only to the product that we're going to deliver at the end is um, making sure that we can show um, we can help that librarian show how um, we're going to improve our way, how we're going to help them um, reduce costs, how we're going to make their operation more efficient. And um, we can give that to them in real numbers because that's what they need when they go to do their presentation um, in order to, to move forward with the partnership. Oh, wonderful. Thank, thank you. Thank you all. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of the road for our episode. I want to thank our guests for joining us today. Thank you very thank much. You. If our listeners have questions or wish to follow up with you, how can they reach you? This is Laura Chance, and if you'd like to reach me, you can find me on LinkedIn, and you can also send me an email at laura.chance at morganlewis.com. And Cynthia Brown, I'd be happy to respond to your email at cbrown at littler.com. Nina Jack, I, uh, my email address is nina.jack at fastcase.com. All right, well, thank you. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. 
If you like what you have heard, please rate us and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. I'm Phil Rosenthal. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.